You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we get into the show today, just a quick reminder. Comedianscomedian.com forward slash merch is where you will find the T-shirts designed by Polly Becker that were on sale just before August. They are now on one final month of sale, so if you missed out before, get along there during the month of October. At the end of October, the post-sale will close and they will no longer be available unless you manage to grab me at a gig sometime. Uh, And even then... I may not have many left. So comedianscomedian.com forward slash merch to get hold of your t-shirts only during October. Hurry, hurry. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. So welcome to the show. My name is Stuart Goldsmith and this is the Comedian's Comedian podcast. Today I'm speaking to Jo Caulfield. She has been doing sterling work on the comedy circuit in the UK and all over the world for many a year and she is a brilliant combination of a real... She really has a sort of um, a spikiness to her personality which she exercises in a really beautiful way. Her, her sense of... Uh, of fun, her sense of humour are really well balanced with a very warm, but nonetheless kind of, you feel like there's always the potential for cruelty. Is that fair? Will she be cross with me for saying so? I hope not. I'm slightly scared of her, as you will hear. Um, She's an absolutely phenomenal uh, comedian, and uh, I'm sure many of you are familiar with her work. If you're not, do yourself a favour. You can download some of her stuff on iTunes. Uh, She's got at least one album out there at the moment. And also do check out Joe Caulfield's website, which I will leave you to Google up the details of. I'd take a guess at something like joecaulfield.com, but I couldn't swear to it. Um, As she has uh, on that website... As you will hear, um, uh, some really interesting things that she's learned from being a comedian that she's kind of uh, uh, sourced from loads of other comics that she's talked to. So it's a really good resource. I highly recommend you check out the website. Having enjoyed, or indeed before enjoying, this conversation with the absolutely phenomenal Joe Caulfield. as people ask your opinion you suddenly become terribly pompous but at the same time I do love to talk about comedy and the ins and outs of putting it together yes yeah. well it, it, to the extent that I, I have to admit I feel a bit I feel a little bit um, not on the back foot exactly but I'm aware that you long before I started doing this mm. you have a section of your website devoted to uh, things I learnt as a comedian as a comedian yeah. yes which is not dissimilar to this in 
in tone and then when you got in touch I sort of googled and I had a look at yeah. the website and I went oh god I hope she doesn't think I've pinched the thing yeah. oh no not at all I, that, that came out of uh, people asking often interviews where they go you know they'll ask it and they'll often ask the same questions and so then but then I thought well I'll write some funny ones so I hope it's sort of funny and informative I think it is I don't, anyone um, that enjoys this show I would absolutely direct them there I think it's brilliant because you've had hundreds of comedians yeah and then to ask other people to do it um, and you know, very famous people so and some from a different point of view like I had a radio producer what annoys you you know so that was helpful to people to go how not to piss them off yes. you know which one of them was he was like please don't make me think it's a form email or, or to go well I've, I've sent this so and so and so and so and so and so so I wondered if you would be interested and go, yeah. not now you know. <laughs> yeah. so uh, and also I think sometimes when people ask your opinion especially new comics they don't actually want your opinion about or, well they do well, they, they don't want to learn things they just want you to say they're amazing and brilliant I think they, you know, they're like, oh, I'd be willing to know what you think. What they want is for you to go, you're amazing. Would you like my career? I'll give it to you <laughs> right now. Yeah. So I thought, okay. well, if I say to them, oh, you can look at this thing, if there's things you actually want to learn you know, about it or to, about how to survive the life as well, isn't it? You know? Yes. And if you, can bother, if you can be bothered reading through all of them, then yeah. it comes together into a coded message that says you're amazing. Well done. Yes. <laughs> to yes. reward you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you have been a comedian for how long? Um, I knew you were going to ask that because I'm very vague about... I don't really like uh, anniversaries, numbers. Like, I don't know when I met my husband. I don't know. I know when we got married because it was the year after 9-11 and we went to New York because it was really cheap. So that's a very good way of me remembering we got married in 2002. So I was thinking, I think... It's probably, it could be 25 years. I was thinking it's probably 24, and I was thinking, oh, that means you're coming to some sort of anniversary thing, aren't you? Yes. Only if you. If you choose to have those things, yeah. But I I didn't do it very much at first, because I didn't really know what it was, and I didn't realise... I think people come into it now much more fully formed when they start. I just... I, I didn't have a proper job. I'd always done bits of this, bits of that... I was waitressing, I'd been in a band, I'd sold vintage clothing. So, but I knew I liked being funny. I knew I liked that. And Had I, there been any other performative I'd jobs? done, uh, my sister uh, is a writer, and so I'd, um, I'd done a couple of fringe plays, um, but it was more that I just liked being funny, and friends would say I was funny, um, and I enjoyed it. Like when I was a waitress... Uh, we used to have this awful like waitress meeting before because it was this like American company and we all had to like be really into the company and you had to take a test and things. And if I was funny at the meeting, I would try and be funny deliberately and I would go, oh, I got a real thrill from that. But I didn't really know what stand-up was. And then it was a friend, um, not a very good friend, who went to do an open spot at the comedy store and I came and I remember the bill because it was Mark Lamar was comparing... And I thought he was fantastic. And uh, Mike Haley, who does impressions, I don't think does it now. Sean Mio, who's uh-huh. still going strong, but he had hair. And um, Jack D. And it was Mark Lamar and Jack D that I liked. Because Jack D, it just made it seem doable. Because I was like, oh, this isn't jokes. This is a bloke. Oh, he's just moaning and being sarcastic. This seems like it could be done. You know, that I might be able to do this. Because it's not blokes, old blokes telling jokes. And why did you think it was old blokes telling jokes? What preconception was that based on? Watching uh, on telly as a kid, you know, watching comedians. And then there was more modern comedians. Um, 
But I, I think it was also the physicality of being in the room and then asking my friend, how did you get this? And because it, it, so there was no exams to pass, there didn't seem to be anything to wade through, you just had to phone up and ask to do an open spot. And that seemed like, oh, that's easy, because I don't want to go to college or anything. Foolishly, I thought, oh, easy. Why, why didn't you want to go to college? I want to try and build a picture of who you were pre that. I left were, school at 17, um, had been, uh, grew up like Air Force family, so moved around a lot. Then when my dad, and I was at boarding school, then when my dad came out of the Air Force, there wasn't money for the boarding school, so then went to comprehensive, which I'm now very grateful for, because I think I would have been very odd if I had not been into a normal school. That must have been quite a shock. I did it the other yeah, way around. I right. went to, I went to not a board. I mean, there were borders, but I never, yeah. I was never a boarding, a, a border or whatever they call it. Um, but I found that a, a profound shock when I was yeah. about sort of nine and I went from a, a normal school to one that I didn't understand at all with its own functions and dress code and weird sports I hadn't played before and stuff like that. So you did the reverse. Yeah, were I went to boarding welcomed? school at nine, and I was there till I was 14. Okay. So it was the it was O-level year, so it was the worst year to go, oh, you're going to a completely new school. But actually, I didn't find it that traumatic. There was things that were interesting, like the, that there was boys there was strange, you know, and that was a new dynamic. And then, and then it was uh, discovering... Then I did go to sixth form, but I was more, much more than interested in, not boys so much in a like, oh, I was, you know, great, but more in just to go out, have fun, music, all of that became really important. And, and I'd always quite liked school, but as soon as I left, I was like, I'm never ever going in that environment again. And I can't, and there were just, I don't like being told what to do. And I think that's why I've always sort of tried to work for myself. Even when I was a waitress, in my head, I was self-employed. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, no, gotcha. Because I was in charge of my own tables, and if I was good and got through lots of customers, I would get tips and everything, and, you know, they just happened. It's like I felt I was renting the space. But to have a real thing about I really do hate being told what to do. Um, do you know why that is? I don't know. I don't know if it's because I, from the boarding school thing, or it's just something innately in me that, you know, that I don't like being told what to do. Um, and then, so then there was just a lot of, and also it was the 80s, which was, a very, you know, came to London. I lived in a, what were then legal squats. Um, you were allowed to stay in them until some developer said, oh, now we're going to do something with these houses. So it was very cheap to live and had, a, you know, just worked in bars and then... I was very into the rockabilly scene, and I was in a band, played the drums. I don't know anything about rockabilly. Is that the one with the collars and the shoes? That's more like a small 50s rock and roll. Rockabilly was kind of cooler, I would say. Rockabilly music. It's hillbilly. It's American hillbilly music, okay. but more rocking. Um, it is early Elvis, and okay. you know, it is that, but there's a lots of... It's quite snobby, and it was the more obscure stuff you could find. Everyone was into obscure records that you okay. could find. But it was quite a big scene, and buying the clothes and doing your hair and everything, um, dressing 50s, which is very in fashion again now, you know. Um, and, so, and so I was in this band, and, uh, but still always like working in bars or pubs and things or nightclubs. And then a friend of mine and I, we set up, used to be a thing called the Enterprise Allowance Scheme, and you were to put in a thousand pounds, and then the government paid you, paid your rent, and gave you sort of like a dole money to live on while your business. So we did that to set up the fifties clothes stores, 
And um, so we did that. We used to go to weekenders. We used to be rock and roll weekenders, and you would sell. And, and I do remember it seemed to be always people from Poland who couldn't get anything would come and buy everything. <laughs> and uh, it was just really good fun. And then I sort of and I sort of drifted a little bit away from that scene, and then um, went back to waitressing. But I was already, and I didn't realise it. Uh, everyone else who was waitressing was like nineteen or twenty, but I was like twenty six. And then my friends, who are still my friends, um, started to go off to university and things. And I went, oh, oh, I didn't realize you were likely to have some sort of plan. I had no plan. I was just like, I've pl- enough money to go out. I'm having a lovely time. What more could you want? And then that's when I started to slightly panic or then think, well, there is something about the comedy that... And I thought about it a lot before doing it in terms of I, I didn't know if it was... A thing I didn't know. I just didn't. I just didn't know that it was a thing you could actually do, and I didn't really know about it. And I remember liking people and 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 watching videos. Steve Martin. He again. That seemed just like a man being stupid. I could do that. You know, it was thing that made it seem like oh, it's not maybe as difficult. And then of course you do it. And at first you're very excited, so it goes well. Um, and I wasn't really aware of how bad I was which is good because otherwise you wouldn't carry on would you I don't think nobody's nobody knows how terrible you are that basically you go on and ruin people's evening for 10 minutes don't you because you don't know what you're doing but you have to learn in public it's the only thing it's not like in a, you know playing the drums I could practice at home yes uh, you know and do but you can't you have to go out and do it what did you what did you prepare for that first I told, which I probably think is quite a sensible thing to do. I told story things that I'd said to friends. If I'd said it in conversation and people laughed, like I had a story about seeing my dad's balls on the beach, um, which I did as material for quite some time. And I told that to friends in the pub that I didn't know what they were. I remember seeing them and I thought it was like a sea creature. So I started throwing pebbles at them. Because I thought it was something attacking my dad. And uh, so now I remember that was like a first piece but, but, which I think is probably quite a good thing to do if it, but it means that it's sort of conversational or whatever. But, yes, yeah. I mean, is that quite unusual? That seems like such a such a funny basic idea and a story mm. that clearly is going to work as a piece of stand-up. Mm. I guess that's quite unusual, do you think, that someone, the very first story you tell mm. actually becomes decent material? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I yes. Yeah, and I used to have my hair up on my head and I remember... I said, oh, I don't have long hair. I've just got one very long nipple hair, and I wrap it round. And I remember that was a routine I did. Um, and it's funny that I really do remember these routines. And I do, yeah, and I, the other routine I had was about renting in London and space being, and then saying, oh, I would rent out my vagina. I remember that, which is very route one for women in comedy, I think. Oh, you better mention your vagina. Um, but I didn't have a concept of how of what jokes were or how jokes were constructed or anything. Were there many women about in comedy at that time? Um, I never really thought about it. I remember, I remember Joe Brand was still gigging slightly because I remember seeing her on a bill. Um, but I didn't really... I really didn't really think about it. I wasn't really thinking about it because I didn't really think about it in terms of music or that either because it was a lot of good... That, you know, there'd been pretenders and blondie I'd like. And I think the first album I ever bought was The Slits, which was about four women in their knickers covered in mud on the front, you know. So I never really thought of it as a thing that I couldn't do, you know. Or that people would have a different idea because you were a woman. 
That's uh, interesting that you think of that. I mean, that's not quite what I asked, mm. which is just like, were there other women around? Um, but I suppose the question uh, that you've answered sort of, I mean, maybe it's just indicative of being asked about women in comedy. Yes, yes. So uh, women around. Charmaine Hughes was around. Uh, Mandy Knight was around. Um, Jenny Eclair, but she wasn't really on the circuit, but I knew of her and I'd seen her. Do you just did. those names that you've mentioned because yeah. they're all people that I I have seen yeah. and know are still going and I wonder if you share a particular quality with them maybe it's me looking back at it 25 years later and go well these are the survivors these are the ones that were still going from then mm. so maybe it's a quality of resilience mm. but do you think that there is something in in common with those acts with the nature of how those acts maybe the, yeah, the, kind, I mean, the, I the relative it, bite of those acts? I've, I've no idea, you know, because now I'm thinking of other people who, you go, oh, there was that weird woman who did this, and uh, a woman called Sue Beard who did funny songs. It was good, you know, and then I don't know what happens to them, or I don't know. I think you, just, you have to like it, don't you? I think some people don't like it enough to do it. Is it... Keep doing it. Is it just about liking it? I wonder, I wonder if, it's, if, if the resilience of keeping going for 25 years... I mean, absolutely liking it is, is mm. one of the strands. But I do. if I think of you in the same breath as Jenny Eclair and Joe Brand and Mandy Knight, mm. I, these, those are all powerful voices mm. who kind of give, don't take any but shit. I think you only you know get I mean? powerful by doing it. You're not powerful when you start, particularly. It's just because you... You're confident because you've worked on it and you're doing it, and it's what I and it's what I do. You know, I think sometimes people sort of think that there's an end to stand-up comedy, but it's to me. And I'm not saying oh, it's a great art form, but it's like if you were a painter or something, people will go, and then what are you going to do? Well, I'm a painter, so to me, I'm a comedian, and I will always try and get better or think about all, you know, like most Edinburgh shows, I try and think of something that I haven't done. What can I do in the show this year to kind of make another skill to my bow? And then, and you just, and keep doing it because that's the thing you do. How long was it between you starting out and you doing your first hour? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Like I say, because I'm very bad on, um, it was a long time, long time. Um, Because it's when I was writing for Graham Norton and I think... I, th- I think they had, they had said, like Graham's producer, so Tevin had said, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll sponsor you to go. So the first year I did it, I was very lucky. They paid for me to go, so they covered the costs. Um, I can't... I can think of it in rooms. I know how many... What rooms I've done. And I think I've done... El- I don't know, because I've done some rooms a few times. 13, but then I've had the odd year off here and there. Yeah, so... I mean, I've been going a long time before I did a first hour. And what was the relation... Were you doing warm-up for Graham Norton? Uh, you writing, writing and doing warm-up. I, I, I think I have, I've confused two things there, because I, you are or were the regular warm-up for Have I Got News For You? Yes. Is that right? Yes. yes. Yeah. And I, think of, I always think of that as the holy grail of warm-up, because you do seven minutes and then leave. Oh, <laughs> it's the most beautiful job in the world. It is. And I think maybe we've talked about that yeah. in the dressing room, yeah. Yeah, and it's the only warm-up I now do, because I did do it a lot for a while, and sitcoms, which are... Um, uh, and I do remember an older warm-up guy saying to me, be careful, don't get good at this, because you'll get asked to do it 
all the yeah. time. Yeah. And I did get asked to do it all the time. And they're usually midweek and it's good money, but it, it started to make me feel second rate uh, and to go, I don't want to be this. And, and also, even with I've, I've Got News For You, I think that you're... As you go, I think a lot of my material now is not suitable for warm-up because it's far too opinionated and far too about myself. And warm-up has to be quite general and, and quite... About, about the show. Yes. You don't want to trip over... You, you, you can't... Yeah. Yourself can't get in the way of the relationship between the audience and the show. Yes, yeah. It's like doing stand-up at a wedding. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But, but have I got news for you? I have a certain things that I do. And also, they don't like you to interact too much with the audience because it's not an audience show. So, um, so I don't do that, which I'd get by with other warm-ups by going... Uh, but I did... It was... I was going, oh, I can't say that. It's far too harsh or it's too much stamping yourself onto the show. Um, yeah, but that is lovely. So, yeah, I was doing warm-up and I started doing warm-up for Graham and then they had trouble getting writers because he was, re- he was the first sort of openly gay man on television the first man that wasn't it wasn't like a showbiz gay it wasn't John Inman he was going no I have a boyfriend and I have sex with men uh, and it's not an act so um, it was all male writers and they were doing a little it was a little bit John Inman-y or Graham would always go oh the punchline is all and then I fucked him up the arse you know um, so I got a trial as a writer because they went well Joe knows the show give her a go and then I wrote for ages on it like seven years or something so how did, you, how did you start writing for Graham? Were you writing for other people or was that your first uh, writing job? I can't remember. I, remember. I can't remember if I was writing for other people, but I remember them going, oh, well, Joe knows the show, we'll give her a trial. Yeah, and then I did it. Okay. But I'm kind of... I'm not really interested in that anymore at all. I'm much more interested in my own stand-up, you know. <laughs> So this is Joe. A huge pleasure to talk to her, as I'm sure you can hear. I'm over the course of this conversation. I get over my slight fear of Joe. I think there's only as much only as much uh, fear of her that she'd be absolutely happy and comfortable with. Um, but what a joy to talk to her! Really, really enjoyed this conversation. She has so much to talk about, and uh, I really think there's a lot that. We can all learn from uh, from the way she does comedy, the way she operates, and the way she operates at being alive. And that's, let's face it, that's what this show is about more and more these days, isn't it? Thank you to everyone at the Belfast Comedy Festival who came along to see my interview with Tim McGarry. Uh, that'll go out fairly soon. A really interesting chat there with uh, one of the, I was going to say doyens, but I don't know what that word means, uh, one of the most well-known, recognisable people in Northern Irish comedy uh, and someone who was writing sketch shows as a teenager, as a student, about the troubles and doing sketches about paramilitaries and and the threat of violence in a landscape in which uh, pretty much no one else was doing that. So look out for that. One's coming out soon. And thank you, of course, to the Place Hotel, which is a hotel... I mean, I never know quite how to describe it without making myself sound uh, uh, small (laughs) because it's such a... It's a really high-end place. If you're one of those people that likes to donate uh, a uh, three-figure sum to this show, you're few and far between, but I admire and respect you very much. Probably this is aimed at you. Um, 
um, the place on York Place in Edinburgh is where I recorded this episode and uh, a few other ones as well uh, during the festival they're kind enough to give me some space to record there and uh, they are absolutely brilliant so it, you know it's just such a wonderful hotel and I go in there and I record my episodes and I jealously look around and imagine what it would be like to have breakfast among the elite <laughs> so do check out the place hotel it's a very kind of them so I'm very happy to point you in their direction um, and uh, if you would like to to join the uh, sort of high rolling uh, super donors of the show then you can make a recurring subscription payment to this show at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate you can do a one-off donation if you'd like as well and um, i'm just going to read out a couple of little bits of correspondence from uh, from some recent donors uh, this is a lovely email from colin colin says just wanted to say thanks for getting me through years of tedious gym sessions while i inverted commas recovered from type 2 diabetes so thanks for making a good living out of doing something you love and would probably do whether you were getting paid or not you jammy bastard colin you tugged at my heartstrings and then you snapped them um thank you very much colin and um, really appreciate your uh, uh, getting in touch and good luck with your continuing in inverted commas recovery i mean i, I guess you're implying there that that's not a thing you can recover from but i hope you're um, making the best of that and uh, and i'm glad that you're enduring some tedious gym sessions not more on that later i've started doing tiny runs i'm angry about them i don't want to do them i don't want to tell you about them <laughs> i just thought I'd, uh, I'd, I'd just tell you that i don't i'm not going to tell you about them so it's, it's not going to turn into one of those podcasts and i got another email here from uh, this is from andrew uh, he uh, he referred to douglas adams and um uh, in his email and then he said the reference to douglas adams was triggered by your talking about his expounding on how tenses will be confused by time travel and also that he did something that is unfortunately common douglas hit an age where he suddenly thought he should get in shape exercise too hard and died of a heart attack i didn't know that i thought maybe i did know that the world lost a comic genius and a profound thinker so please take it carefully and don't follow his example the world can't afford to lose another one see colin that's how you do it <laughs> thank you Andrew. that's very kind of you um, I'm absolutely thrilled to be mentioned in the same breath as brilliant, brilliant Douglas Adams, even if it is in the sense of don't die from a heart attack like he did. Um, he says, I'm, he says, PPS, I'm 46. You'll look back at 40 and laugh. Hey, let's not, let's not bring up any numbers. What's the, what's the point in that? So, um, that is, so thank you very much. I'm, I really enjoy the sentiments in both of those emails and I do enjoy being a jammy bastard. I'll talk to you more about being a jammy bastard after the episode. Um, but if you would like to join the ranks of Andrew, Colin and plenty more besides comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate to show your support for the podcast. And, um, and do remember for the whole of October, the t-shirt sale is on and at the end of October, the t-shirt sale is off forever. So go along to comedianscomedian.com forward slash merch to get your t-shirt sent to you at the end of October we'll print them and when we get them back in November I'll send them all I'll have a big day of sending them out so uh, do have a look at that website and you can see some pictures there or indeed in the Facebook group uh, about uh, pictures about you don't really get pictures about things do you pictures of um, uh, other ComCom fans who have very kindly bought the t-shirts and worn them underneath their beards in most cases so that's that. And there was one more thing I wanted to say before we dive straight back into this interview. It will come back to me. This is Joe Caulfield. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So your show that I saw uh, at the stand uh, a couple of nights ago, two nights ago, I mean, from the word go, they're in the palm of your hand. Like, do you feel like that's your audience that you've built over the years? Or do you feel like you have that same ability to to grab an audience that hard, that, that, that firmly, that immediately? kind of it's kind of insulting if you say oh they're your audience so they do that you know that's you'd have to go well come and see me in a club and i'll do the same thing that's you know? that, yeah. i don't mean to be insulting yeah. at all <laughs> I'm, yeah. so, I'm really sorry if that's how it came yeah. across um what i mean is holy shit that was amazing are you that amazing all the time yes <laughs> um you know, you, you know, you know, you know when you're good, and you know when you're in a phase where you're going, oh, you know, and I'm in a really good phase at the moment, um, where you just, I'm really excited about my material and who I am up there, and uh, and I think it goes in phases, and then because uh, when I got, re- I had some material from last year that I really loved, and I didn't get rid of it until. May this year because I loved it so much and I was like you can't say that anymore <laughs> yeah, you okay. can't do the going to Marks and Spencer's what well, you know what were your plans for the day or oh, having a smear test you know where you know they're going to laugh and you know and and so that and it was like oh and then you have that bit where you're going oh god but I don't love this stuff and now I love this stuff you know so it's just good that you learn every time you go, no, you have to throw it away and you have to then make this stuff the stuff you love, you know. And, uh, and sort, of it sort of came together quite quickly because it had to as well, you know, because you're going, well, you're in for Edinburgh. It's now June. This needs to work. And I do it in clubs because then you know it's funny. Yes. And, and what, what does the calendar look like from one Edinburgh to the next? When do you... When do you make this? Do you start? When do you start writing the first well, bit of the life new show? happens, doesn't it? So sometimes it's not what you what you plan. Like already, I'm thinking, oh, I want to get. I thought, oh, it's the World Cup year. That means June will be very hard to do previews. You might have to do your previews earlier. <laughs> That's right? the voice of experience. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I discover that anew each year and go, yeah, why? Yeah. why didn't I yeah, plan get this? Get yourself a World Cup calendar. I always do that. I get my wall chart and I put in, right, don't do any gigs on these nights with these England games and stuff. Um, so I was already sort of thinking, oh, I'll start earlier because so I'm ready earlier but this year was very different you know it was an awful year um and I thought about not going and then I thought what 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 else are you going to do you're going to you know sit around being miserable 
Um, so be as well, get on with the work. And now I see it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Do you mind talking about why? I mean, I know from the show why it was an awful yes. year, but specifically in, in terms of in terms of the way in which, as you just said, mm. what else are you going to do? The way that comedy or that one's art yeah. can lift oneself up out of a... Yes, and keep you busy. So, um, yes, yeah, so my sister died of cancer, which is just the most terrible thing in the world. And I still don't think... I still... And that was a whole thing. I still don't think I've realised it. Um, and so it was like, what do you... You know, I think I was very afraid of feeling feeling that, feeling it. So uh, I, I remember doing, I did a corporate the day afterwards because you just can't take it on board. You cannot, I could not take it on board because it's somebody going before their time, you know. Um, uh, so I think it was, it was that thing of just going, you just carry on. And I think that's also the thing about about people and I think especially as you get old and you realise God people have all sorts of shit in their lives and that's why comedy is fantastic and that's why I wouldn't do a show about my sister dying of cancer because I look at the audience and go you've all got your shit as well you know I don't want to make you feel bad you've come to feel good you know so I just say it at the end because I thought I thought long and hard about will I mention it at the end I thought yes one because then they're more likely to put money in the Macmillan bucket um, because then they feel that they're touched but also I did write some pieces about it for standard issue which I found really cathartic just my anger at it and some of them were funny I always I can't help it I always tried to be funny because I'm very oh listen I just I hate to dump on people because I do think everybody's got their shit so who are you to kind of go oh poor me you know because I think well people have lost children you know that's worse I did I did do an article about what degrees there are in grief I think and I was going it's not the worst children's the worst um, then your partner is next worse. Then it's your parents, but only if you lose them when you're young. I say up to about 25. After that, then that so goes behind me. This. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. But, but I thought, oh, I because I didn't want people to, I don't, anyone reading to go, fuck, but I lost my kid, you know, and I, yeah. well, you win, that, you know, definitely. And my sister's partner, he wins. I think that's worse. Um, but, and also, and, you know, things like that, I would get angry or upset at odd times, you know, and that thing where they talk to you in shops and go, how are you doing? And you, you go, oh, I'm fine. But you want to go, fucking shut up. My sister's just died. Or I'm going to see my sister in the hospice. Stop talking to me. And, uh, and then go, changing trains. Like I was on tour at the time and sort of coming into London to see her and things. And, uh, I had to ch- change trains. I think it was Bristol or S- Swindon somewhere. And I had to change at Bristol Parkway, coming from Cheltenham, and you didn't normally. And uh, and so we all had to get off, and he said, oh, you've got to change. And I started crying. <laughs> and then <laughs> the man, and he really nicely went, oh, but Bristol Parkway is really easy. You'll <laughs> like it. <laughs> That's so sweet. And when people are nice to you, it, and you get all full, full, sort of full of humanity, I'm going, oh, God, people are so lovely. Uh, um, at the same time, as being really angry at cancer adverts, where they go, we're walking over cancer, and you go, you're fucking not stop it you know so I'd get so I so did wrote those things so that was why or also that was what I was going to say that people then on Twitter loads of people got in touch with me who had lost people or who were going through it and again some of them were very funny about it as well um, but saying that I had voiced what they felt that they hadn't 
read somewhere else, you know. So then, and then some people did come and say, oh, I read you, I've been following what you write about your sister. So I thought if I don't mention it, they'll think that's weird, you know. Yes. So that was why, okay. yeah. And and with that reaction, with that kind of uh, people getting in touch with you and yeah. all those kind of positive things, did that make you think this is a thing I could one day talk about on stage? I, I don't think so because it's not what I do. And I, But I did find I couldn't stop myself from writing about it. Um, we'd gone away um, for a holiday and I was just scribbling on the beach, just scribbling, scribbling, and, I, and I, it was the only way to get thoughts out of my head um, to, to treat it as an exercise of going, right, but I still want it to be a funny, I still have to find what's funny here. Um, because we laughed a lot, you know, and that is the other thing about, you know, we, had, we were sitting in the hospital having wine and laughing and, you know, you know, that happens as well because I think that's how, you know, people are hugely resilient and we, that's how you cope with things. But I, I, I no, because I, I think there's a lot of, I don't believe in this thing just because something happens, it's a show. You know, there's a lot of that. As a young comic, and I think he's really good. And I thought, oh, I'm disappointed you said that. And he, and he said, um, oh, I went to a Scandinavian country because I thought, oh, I don't have anything to write about. You know, you can't just write sitting in your flat. And I thought, of course you can. You can write sitting in your flat. So he'd gone to a Scandinavian country in the hope that something Travel, would happen. that something would happen, you know. That does seem the wrong way around. Yes. I mean, I, 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 at the same time, I, I have probably, I don't think I've ever considered that, but I get where that comes from. Yeah. So, I mean, the but fear think, of, oh, maybe I've run out. Maybe I will yeah, run out. Yeah, but it's like, but we, we can invent things. Use your imagination, you know. As long as people think things are true then it's true that, you, you know, they know you're it's a tissue of lies, but they, as long as you do it well and they believe you. Well, just before we started recording, yeah. we were talking about your husband. Who yeah. You said in the show when I saw it, because I was in, you said yeah. he was called Stuart. Yeah. <laughs> and then asked if there were any Stuarts in, and I hid in a very, yeah. like, front row, trying yes. to hide kind of capacity. So you were saying that you're, not only is your husband's name not Stuart, yeah. but your, inverted commas, husband on yes. stage is an amalgamation yes. of other, other husbands partners, and other, people. Yes. yes. Other, so, oh, other people's husbands. So other not people's just your, husbands, I understand. Men in general who, if I notice they do an odd or weird thing, I go, "Oh, that," and, I, and I'll say to my husband, "I go, oh, the husband could do that." Yes. Um, and so, and we pick a name which is similar to his name. Yes. In that it's a uh, a boring Scottishy name because like he's Scottish. Stuart. Yes. <laughs> which now is that could Stuart. seem insulting, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and uh, so, yeah, so then the name thing in the show is funny. And then I'll say, sometimes I'll go, you know, it's just one of those terrible names. And then I'll reel them off like the Collins, you know, Craigs, Grahams and that. And of course, especially in Edinburgh, it's full of men called those names. Just, yeah. just, I want to get back to the husband mm. and the idea oh, yeah. of amalgamating things. But I have to say that five or seven minutes where mm. you just rinsed so many couples on the mm. basis of their names, I thought that was it was a wonderfully, it was a, it was a really beautiful kind of zeroing in on the minutiae of, mm. a, of a topic. It wasn't just you've got a silly name. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was about the thing you kept coming back to of just like, okay, shall we, shall we invite them to the party? Yeah. Will Jan and Pete get an invite yes. to the party? <laughs> oh, well, Jan, I mean, it's quite zappy, but, and Pete, no. You know, the idea of the, the relative, um, uh, kind of cultural expectation of what the person is like when their names are in couples when deciding whether or not to invite them somewhere. It's really specific. Yeah. And, and yet, it, and brilliantly, it gave you this incredible launch pad to, to, to attack people and celebrate some people, rather yeah. more attacking than celebrating on that particular night, who knows. But, um, but what really struck me out of that, that brilliant kind of 
format i guess when you mm. format's the wrong word but when you it's come it's a bit of business yeah a yeah. bit of business and when one comes up with a bit of business yeah. like that one rubs one hands together oh, and goes absolutely. well that's going to be fun yeah what what shone through it was your personality your persona on stage the ability to delight people by telling them they've got a shit name. Do you know what I mean? That, and that to me struck me as like, oh, wow, that, we're, seeing, we're seeing pure Joe Caulfield at this moment because people are rolling over and having their tummies tickled by you telling yeah. them their, na- their name yeah. is shit. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is so funny to me how it works and it's, it was one of those things that sort of developed organically and then went, oh, that is uh, a good bit of business and it's hard to come up with an original bit of business and it's it's frightening because I think um, I know it's going to be taken I know it's going to be stolen because compares will go oh yeah that's just a compare thing the way they do about stuff like that and you go no it's actually yeah. all, a bit all of compare things were of. one, one, person, wrote one them. person thought of them at some point somebody asked an electrician you know what's your favourite plug and now everybody just does it yeah. and you go no you can't just do that but it, it is it is funny and it is you know and it is funny where it goes because some if they've got interesting names then that you know that's an area of a person that you find out I've also had the dynamic where the parents are there so I've had that, and I said young people, because young people often do have better names. I go, young people have good names. And she said, Michelle, I went, well, not always. Yes. Right. And then the people next to them went like that, and I went, oh, and it was her parents. And the mother immediately went, wasn't my idea. He <laughs> named her. You know. So that's a weird dynamic, because you're, you're, you're letting people off by going, oh, it's not your fault. And then going, oh, no, it is. It's their fault, because they named you. They chose that name. Yeah. But that, that ability to, to insult whilst to insult joyfully yes do you, does that does that strike you as it does me that that is a particularly you quality um i, I, I it's a th- yeah maybe it is it's definitely a thing i'm conscious of of um of realizing i can do uh, you know you learn that after time you go oh they don't mind what i say to them they're almost queuing up for me hoping i take the piss out of them and don't invite them to my party or say well you can sit in the corner but you know read a book or something um, and that and that is a lovely thing to go uh, because they 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 you're looking at them in the eye and I think sometimes I've seen people do it and I go you can't be rude to people unless you look them in the eye give them that second as though they have a right to reply because they do that is an absolutely brilliant observation yes yes so they'll take it from me because they know it's it's just it's just joshing it's just fun and she's not frightened of us you know she she's saying you know you can you can do it back if you want but I know you're not going to. Yeah, uh, which is fun if they do ever say anything back, you know, or about my name. Someone said, "Well, Joanne's not a nice name." I went, "I'm a Josephine." <laughs> gotcha. You know, and and so so that that quality. I'm just sort of trying to think of the other material in the show about mm. um, the group of friends. You talk about your group of friends, yes. your girly girls, and you sort of savagely attack your friends in a way that makes us know that you love them. Yes, so I mean, oh, that's it's a good. That's good. Of, yes, because yeah. I, I I do, and again, that's based that's based on a real feeling of one particular woman who make who do, who I realise I she she's oddly it's like a passive aggressive thing where you do run around after her, and I'm like, why am I behaving like this? You know, and she does make me feel masculine, and that I need to look after her and do things oh, for God, her. Oh God, that was yeah. fantastic! You having yeah. a pint with the guy yes. at the bar <laughs> because you feel that amongst your girly girls, yeah. you're the you feel like a bloke. Yeah, yeah, I'm the bloke, Talk- and I'm not even a very blokey woman. And I, I wondered at first whether they would take that from me, but they do, which is yes. good because it has to rely on them believing that I do feel 
huge and manly around these women. Yes, and yet on stage you're glittering. You know, you're very well. You're very sort of well dressed, and you have a couple of glittery. There's a ring. Yes, and a, and a, yes, yeah. And and so you're clearly feminine. Yeah. And yet we buy the. I don't know. Yes, because I think we buy uh, it. Yeah, because I think it is a certain type of woman, and I and that's why I thought. Oh no, I do think the other women identify. Even women who are sitting there nicely dressed and everything, they'll go because they're those women. Where you know, and they are the women. They are too done up, and they're too you know clickety clickety heels. And you're like, oh my god, how do you even? How do you get across a road? I don't know how you function being that done and feminine all the time. Um, so that's fun, and that was again that I wanted to do this year was do things with voices and to act out a bit more. Okay, as a, as a new thing. As a new thing to do, and that's what I'm doing the other girlfriends as well, um, which are again amalgamation. They're amalgamation of friends because it would be terrible to actually do a friend. So yes. they're a mixture of friends, but I always give them names of real friends because then when I, pi- I picture them, I picture a real person, which I hope helps it be believable. Yes. When did you first amalgamate the husband? When did when when does that? Um, yeah, I don't need a year on it, but I'm just interested yeah, yeah. In, in the decisions um, behind think, that. Yeah, I think because um, uh, yeah, quite early on, call him change his name, so it wasn't his real name. Mainly because if my husband's at a gig and then people come up, and go, oh, "Are you Stuart?" Then and he's just like, "No," you know. Um, and then if I'm talking to him, they won't go, "Oh, that's him." She just said his name, yes. you know, uh, to a little bit, to, so he's not uh, bothered by people. And also, it made it easier to work on um, of just going, "It's not you," but you know, because my husband will think of things, or he'll say his friends. I remember no. seeing we get together at the is it the comedy store Durham? Yeah, and you were there was a bit where I'll I'll butcher it if I try and remember it, but. but um, the point being you were watching a programme on prison gangs. Yes. And he yes. was talking about whether... Yes. Could you just tell me... Could you remind me what it was? Yes, so it was, it's about... The that he's very, he gets perfect. the annoyance because he's always cocky about it and says, oh, if I was in prison, I'd be the top dog. That man's the top dog, you know, and you, you don't get yourself really disrespected. So, you know, you've got to... What is it? I can't remember. Something and I, and about I think stabbing you are not even the top, top dog, dog in this house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so do you find it... So it frees you up creatively to be able to go... I or we can add attributes to the husband. Yes, and in, and invent things and go. Oh, that would just go. Oh, that would be a funny thing for him to do or to be interested in. Um, and just weird things, you know, like travelling. I, I had a thing, but I, I did drop it. But I might bring it back about. Um, I was in Sheffield gigging, and I wanted to go for a run. So I thought, oh, I'll go. Someone said, go along this five-wheel run or something along the canals. And as I was running, I was going, this is like all behind disused, you know, factories and warehouses in a city Sheffield. There's no one around except every now and again a bloke fishing. And then <laughs> anyway, and I thought, what are these blokes that go fishing? And I thought, no, they're just, you know. And that's and I thought I had a thing like I shouldn't be here. I've got a handbag and a vagina. And then I thought about what do men do when they're fishing? And I added it to the piece I do about sandwiches. I said, some men love sandwiches so much they'll take them away. And uh, they pretend they go fishing, but it's just so they can have their sandwiches <laughs> in peace. And, that. and there's some odd behavior that men do. And I find that thing of men, they just like to go out and be alone, don't they? And do the fishing thing with their equipment. 
And I find them kind of sweet that they do odd things like that. You yes, know? it's again, and it's that sort of that warmth whilst being very cutting. Your material yeah. about um, about wonder. I went home and I told my wife and uh, our friend's mother, who's staying with us as well, yeah. who fell about this the, the bit about like watching a man going, "Is he listening? I think he's yes, listening," yes. and then going, "No, he's not <laughs> listening." They both properly fell about. It's a pro- that's like a, a twenty-four carat observation yeah. about relationships. And sometimes it's sort of you're almost researching it because. My husband's like that. He'll gossip with me because he knows I like gossip. Um, but really, the thing about his friends of his, if they're having a hard time, um, that men don't really talk to each other, but they'll support each other by going to the pub or something. And talking um, about something else. And talking about hours, something yes. else. And then it was, weirdly, it was a B&B, and it was a nice kind of hip couple, you know, so it was a touchy-feely kind of a guy. And then we were just talking, and he went, and, and he said about how, I said, I only really care about my wife and uh, my daughter. Some bloke, and he was talking about a friend of his, and he was going, just going, I don't care about his marriage. And I was like, oh, my God, it is a thing. You know, so I felt like, oh, that's ticked it now. Some of the man who you would think he was younger, you'd think he'd be more touchy feely. He doesn't care either. He cares, you know, about his castle and the people in his castle, and that's and that's that. You know. And these, are you collecting? Are you sort of tagging these observations mentally in life? Are you making notes on your phone as you go? Is there what's the what's the beginning of the process of assembling the material? Uh, I I sometimes just. It's, it varies in different ways, but that observation um, came together with then actually just saying on stage the thing um, about that I do about my husband has a friend and his wife, they got divorced, and I said, oh, my God, I don't know, when did that happen? Two years ago, and that was a true thing. Okay. I know, and so I think I'd said that on stage, and then I did say to my husband, I said, oh, there's definitely, because I'll discuss things with him about it, because there's definitely something in there about this, about not. And the dog thing just came out of my head on stage, and that's that weird thing where I think if you just think about things and let them run in your head, occasionally I try to write things in notebooks, but I always forget to write them. So I'll have, I've got loads and loads of set lists that I'll go back over every now and again and go, oh, there's something more in that. You should bring that back or do something with it. But sometimes I think it's just a process of thinking about them and then things come out and I don't know where that came from. I go, it just came out fully formed. And if I'm in, and that's when I do, I will record when I'm doing all previews and everything, I always record it because you're, the pressure of people looking at you makes your brain just edit things perfectly and you go, that, that was the right wording. I had so many times I've been sat just kind of typing or writing around the same sodding idea. I remember once, um, two years ago, I did Top Secret in London, which is such an energetic club. It's so it's such mm. a dynamic environment. I wrote most of my show on stage there mm. once where I, I had come on with what I thought was, this is a new seven. Mm. This mm. is a new seven about people and the way they hold mm. themselves. I walked on, got immediately heckled, said one sentence to the guy and went, that was my entire seven. But (laughs) but that's the sentence. I've got that Mm. put down now forever because I spent all day writing, writing and learning seven minutes. And then, nope, I just accidentally distilled that. Bang. Oh, I've got nothing else to say. Yes. Yeah. No, that that absolutely happens. And you're disappointed. But at the same time, you go, well, that is all there was. Just one really good line. And and it is funny that sometimes they go, I don't know where things go. I mean, I did have one joke that literally, and it ended up being a closer. And I don't know where it came from. Just came out. 
you know, but I think it's all part of those long, as long as you're still going, doing the process and trying to write. But I very rarely come up with something sitting at the keyboard, but I do make myself. But you do keyboard. make yourself. What kind yeah. of hours? What, what does a week look like? Well, how many? It's, I don't, I kind of don't do it that way. Um, it's all, it's, no, I don't really, I don't really do no it that does. way. No. <laughs> no one does. I always ask that question. It's only just occurred to me. I have a preconception that I'm supposed to do a certain number of hours a week. Yeah. But no one has ever said, oh, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, 10 till 4, you know. Yeah, well. I mean, I think some people, if people are actually joke writers, um, I think they can do that because they can sit at a computer and at the end of the day they go, well, I've written 20 jokes. Um, whereas I can sit, think, mull, write down basic idea of like what I want, sort of want it to be about. I think there's something funny in this. And, and sometimes just longhand, I'll do quite a lot of scribbling longhand of like, mm, something here, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think somehow that helps things. And then once it's come out on stage, then I write it down. Then I'll type it up and go, right, that's the thing. And sometimes then I can move things around because they're in the right words. Whereas if I... I was, it all sorts of sounds Dickensian when I try to write things. You go... You don't talk like that. You know, yes, you yes. talk with very bad grammar. You know, I'm all... Like, my tenses are all wrong on stage all the time. Um, I realise when I've listened to it, when I type it out. But I okay. keep it because, obviously, for some reason, that, that I needed that tense. That tense made it seem now, you know. Yeah, but, it, 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 yeah, we'd lovely if you could have an actual way... Have you ever have you ever kind of read books on comedy writing? Yeah, yeah, no, I have, and I, I and of uh, ages ago, I did read a lot of books of how of how jokes are constructed and the different types of jokes. Um, and there are there are things that uh, you know, and funny sounding words and funny numbers, and there are like the joke I do about. Um, my friend uh, with the weapons, the big tits, and uh, what well, I say when she thinks she can get us a table and she goes, sorted, we've got a table. And I, the first time I said it, I said um, three hours. And it got a laugh, it got a good laugh. And I said to my husband, I said, oh, I did it. And I said, oh, three hours. And he went, oh, it's not that funny, three hours. Um, no, I said two hours. I said two hours. And he said, it's not funny enough. It's not long enough. It should be three hours. And <laughs> we had this ridiculous argument. And I just went, three hours. Three hours isn't funny at all. It's ridiculous. <laughs> two hours, it seemed punchy. Three hours isn't funny. And he went, I just think it should be longer. And then he went, what about two weeks? If you want two, two weeks. I was going, no, that sounds ludicrous. And then he went, what about two? And he then said, what about two weeks next Tuesday? Oh, yes. That's the funniest sentence. <laughs> It's just, and it's so weird, and you can't describe why you just know it. And yeah. that feeling, I, I just, yeah. I love, I mean, I guess all comedians love yeah. that feeling when you write a thing and go, no, no, that'll work. Mm, mm. That, that'll definitely work. And it's yes. different to the feeling of, oh, yeah, this will work. This seems good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. but you just, that gut thing of going, oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, you, so you've looked at kind of joke structures. Are there any other kind of bits of learning from books that you have found yourself doing? Because mm. I, I mean, I, I think a lot of us have bought the same five or six books. Yes, I've, I've put most Matthew of them down. Matthew Comedy Jean, writing, Jean Perrett. Dean Perrett. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, comedy writing secrets, um, and then sometimes it's finding new ways to do a joke. Like I had a routine. Was it last year? I did it. Um, I do it a little bit this year, but it's actually got a payoff. But the last one was, can you talk about something for so long that you're boring people? 
And I did a thing, and it's a way of deliberately getting rid of a man who comes to talk to me and my friends in a pub. Yes. So I talk, talking about the nails, and I talk yes. for a very great detail about how shellac nail polish works and what they do. And when the audience get, they start laughing as I'm talking because they're going, we can't believe how boring it is. And then I say, and in the end, look up, looks fucked off. Yeah. yeah. But it's a risk because sometimes people, you can see people going, what's she doing? This is boring. She's talking about her nails. Um, but it was very satisfying to see how long you could do it. And you got to sort of, and then time it right to go just, oh, just, just too long, but not too, too long. Yes. Um, it's and like that's an a nice thing to play to with. It's yes. the parachute. Like, yes. Ah, yes. <laughs> how dare I? How yeah. dare I do it? Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that, and that's sort of nice. And I like doing that with the woman, uh, with the blokes waiting, you know, waiting for the drunk woman so you can get it. Which I mostly learnt from watching male comics talking to women after gigs. Yes, <laughs> and going, oh, they'll just. And got, I was amazed, going, oh, men will wait for hours if they think the sex at the end of it. Oh, that's the line I forgot. That's the line I forgot. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah. I said men will. Yeah, that, yeah. The, that was definitely the wording. Something, something for hours to think the sex at the end of it, and I've forgotten that line. I'll have to put that in again now. Yeah, but that was basically it. And I was realizing, oh, and I'm watching the women going, they're not interesting. <laughs> no, but the bloke knows all he's got to do because she's getting there. And if he just listens, he'll get something. Yeah. Do, you, do you ever, when you come up, like, like you said, with that bit of business that you yeah. thought, oh, um, uh, this is good enough to, the name. to become, yeah, that's yeah. good enough to become generic. Is there, when you deal, as you do so well, with the minutiae of relationships and mm. men and women, it, I'm not suggesting it's the yeah. differences between men and women, yeah. but that, that factors into it. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you, you do um, talk about sort of archetypal qualities of men and women. Yeah. To tr- and and you, we all know when you nail a thing and people go, yes, that does happen. Yeah. Do you worry that about uh, someone else having made that observation before. In the same way as if you think of a one-liner, yeah. you go, like, you know, it's on the circuit, people sometimes say on this podcast, oh, you've got to ring Gary Delaney or Tim. And go, just, yes. Has anyone done that? Yeah, Because yeah. this feels really perfect. Has anyone yeah. done that? And I suppose it's sort of easier to identify in one-liner form yeah. than when you kind of nail a top. Yeah, there a, will be, um, I'm trying to think of a comic that's got something similar, but I've said to people, oh, you know, I've got, oh, I've got a similar thing. Um... It'll be somebody who does relationship stuff, you know, like Alan Cochran or Ben Norris or somebody, and I'll go, and I'll just say, oh, I'm doing that, but mine is this, just so Mm -hmm. you know. So sometimes it can be sort of similar, but um, it's usually still different, different point of view. But, I, yeah, I don't really think about somebody else doing it. You know, if I watch someone I do, I go, oh, you know, that's a horrible feeling. If you see somebody doing a thing and you go, oh, I do a thing like that. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that uh, that sort of affects me less and less these days because I think, mm. I mean, it's partly to do with as one develops as a comic, one's voice becomes clearer. Yes, and, you I know, think so that's you, you know, what I, it, yeah. I could absolutely hit, listen to you or Mickey Flanagan have a similar take on yes. a particular aspect of relationships. Yeah, so. yeah. But I also think it's it's just to do with there is like thanks to the internet, YouTube, yeah. the fact that we're all connected to a million more comics than we ever were. It's crazy mm. to think that a particular yeah. angle yeah. only ever belongs to one person, and then yeah. you go, "Oh, that's their special bit." And then you say, yeah. "No, no, someone's been doing that in America for twenty years, or, yes. or whatever." You know, yeah. in America they have been doing it for twenty years because yes. they, they turn over to it. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and I actually, weirdly, now, I find I watch very little comedy. I mean, I watch, you know, people on the circuit, and there's people I enjoy watching if I'm in a club, but I very rarely watch comedy on television. I don't really listen to uh, CDs or things anymore. I, you know, I listen to podcasts a lot, but I listen to, I listen to more factual ones, or I like the dollop that actually makes me laugh. But also oh, I, I love the dollop. I learn a bit That's of history, so, good. so I tend to want, and I love the way they improvise, and they're very. Um, and I was when I was listening to it, I thought oh, English people would have to comment if they... Because every now and again, he'll do a joke that's flat, but yeah. they don't comment. Yeah. Whereas a British person, we would have to cover that and go, oh, that was a bit shit, that didn't work. And it's yes. so great that they don't. Yes. Because then you're just free to plough on and it's all very and they open. Do, what I love about the dollop is how quickly they dive in on a subject. Yes. Like Dave will say something like, so she had a hat in the shape of a badger. Yeah. And Gareth will immediately go, check out my badger hat. And yes. suddenly like, they're just they're in an act out yeah. immediately. Yeah. yeah, when I first heard it, I was like, oh my God, what a brilliant idea. And again, they've come up with a brilliant idea, but also they're so good at it. And uh, and they sound genuinely like they're having fun as well. I think it's great. But I don't really listen to any other funny things, mainly because I I sort of now don't want to be my brain to be crowded by other people's comedy. And I feel it, it, I know enough that I know how it works, but I don't want to be influenced. And or sometimes I'm just bored by it. And I've got very like I like factual things. Hmm. I, uh, as regular listeners will know, I spent a little while as a street performer, mm. and um, I find that I can't really watch street shows anymore. And right. I, I'm, I don't have quite the same thing with stand-up. I think stand -up. a lot of people are like that. Well, I think <laughs> you're right. <laughs> but it is part of the joy of doing yeah. it yeah. was learning, the, yeah. learning what was possible and learning what yeah. was possible for me and learning what the kind of structures could be. Mm. And similarly, I suppose, with comedy... Um, I wonder if part of it is like as one becomes, uh, you know, expert level. You've done your 10,000 hours, you're mm. an expert. You know, <laughs> um, that if you become expert at something, to see it done by other people, like mm. you, can, you appreciate different things yes. about the way fellow experts do it. Yeah. But it must be very difficult to watch an open mic kind of comic and go, well, that's... You yeah, know, I still watch, I mean, you know, I've done some mixed bills at this festival and there's still people that I haven't, you know, I hadn't seen and go, oh, I really like that. I saw that Ian Smith, is he? Yes. And I, I just thought he had really lovely qualities, very smart, but he's very um, low status, but somehow that way that smart people are actually very high status because you quite quickly go, oh, God, he's really smart. And, and also that it comes from ghoul really made me laugh because I spent a day in ghoul and, and then bored, poorly and rigid with all the facts I'd learned about ghoul. Um, but oh yeah, no, I, in that way, I mean, I still see people where I go, oh, that's exciting. And I saw Harriet Dyer, I was really excited mm. by Harriet. Mm. And I thought she did, it was a couple of years ago she did that show, you know, when everyone was doing mental health. And then when I saw her show, I go, like, she's proper mental. I will take her talking about it, but I won't take the rest of you going, oh, and then I was really sad you know everybody's fucking sad but when I saw hers and she was so joyfully crazy and she had a madometer and we would she'd tell us what things she did and then we all had to clap <laughs> to see how mad it was and it was actually very touching at the end when she went I don't have any I can't do her voice but it's like kind of, I don't have any advice but I would say if you're getting medication um, if you save it and crush it all up and then try and swallow it with Lenore you should get help. <laughs> <laughs> and it was beautiful because it was, it was real. And also, 
you know, you forget that, you know, mental illness has all sorts of different ways, but often very exciting brains, you know, and she's got a very exciting brain that she has to sort of control. Um, so things like that, you go, oh, that's very interesting. And so I, I do, I do like it. I suppose it's just that thing. I'm not like people will go, oh, have you watched so-and-so's new DVD? And I just go, oh God, no, you know, there's a lot of things I haven't watched. So I'm, you know, I'm watching Suits at the moment. I want to finish, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit down and watch somebody's comedy DVD. No. You one of the uh, one of the qualities that you have on and off stage, I think, is that you there is something really addictive about how little you seem to give a fuck about what anyone else thinks. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I don't know. I never really think about it. Well, that's it, isn't it? Don't think. <laughs> do you, well, why does, would you think about it? Does yeah. that? Does that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Does that does that make sense to you? Do you do you sort of? I think that's recognize... really nice if you think that. Yeah, because I don't. I hadn't really. Yes, I suppose I. I, I mean, I suppose I, I do care what people think, obviously, but not do you? <laughs> not as not as much as when I find out how much other people care what they think about. Yeah, so I, I suppose don't I don't. I don't understand. Well, I I, I would presume I go about life presuming I do care what other people think you know I like to be liked and everything but but I suppose then when I realize how much other people care then I realize oh I don't care then in comparison to that I see what you mean and I don't have to I know also I think it's also just living in the world isn't it but I've always been a bit like that where you don't have to like everybody and everybody doesn't have to like you and when I like people I really like them um but then I have other friends who I go, oh, it's weird, you, you like everybody. Um, and I go, well, so it means nothing <laughs> if you like everybody, you know. And it's weird, the sort of sometimes the people I think that I like, I think, oh, it's weird that I like them, but I don't like that person when everybody likes that person. But I don't see what it is, you know, yeah. If you, however many shows, have solo shows, do you have an, yeah. uh, did, did we say 13? 13, 13, I think, 13, yes. I, think. I can go through rooms, that's how I'd know it. Um, let's, while you're here, let's go, go through, through the rooms. First room was a small studio, Pleasance Dome. Yep. Pleasance Dome. Then I did... Sounds like the Jack Dome to me, small studio. It wasn't called that then, oh, though. Fine. Yeah, but it might be. 70-seater yep. black box. Jack Dome. Upstairs at the Pleasance. Then was it the Cavern? Then the Cabaret Bar. Then I went over to... Oh, no, then Queen Dome. Then I went over to the Assembly... Assembly, ballroom, hated it. Yes, the ballroom. Yeah. What a horrible room. Terrible room. And I had the most, uh, that's, you know, people that say they have in Edinburgh and they want to stop and I wanted to stop. Okay. I just, I thought, I, I the, just, the, it was a, such a hard room to do a show Metal in. Metal seating rake, high yeah. ceiling, literally a yeah. ballroom. So, you know, I was, it was, it was, uh, what's it? 300 or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. So Friday and Saturday it would be full. So it was a weird Edinburgh where I was going, I've sold more tickets than I've ever sold and I feel shit about myself as a comic. Um, and I, and so on a Tuesday night it could be really hard, you know. And also it was, that's when I realized when I got the figures, which, you know, hey, it's not about money. But I was like, when I worked out what I got from it, I was going, what are the business? I get, I've got, I've got 10% of the gross. How did you end up with 10%? Because of because their of the- percentage. I also then has still had a PR, never had a PR since then. So the PR, 
Uh, I was being produced by Phil McIntyre and the Assembly taking their cut and then renting your flat. Um, and that was all actually in terms of what money you're taking away. That was all it was. And I was like, I took a year off and I'm like, that can't be right. And then that's when... You went to the stand. And Tommy Shepard has said, well, we've got rooms. Because I think I'd had the conversation with him about it. And he goes, well, we're not going to do that. Our split is this. This is the costs. And then they had the new room, stand three. Um, because I wouldn't have had stand one because I wasn't big enough for stand one. They were, you know, getting much bigger people to do that. But they stand three. And then I think I did stand three for three years. I can't remember where we are now. Stand three, three years. Then did stand one for two years. Oh, we're over here now, aren't we? 12. Yes, probably is 13, 14 maybe, yeah. And then then I did stand six, which I really like as a room because it's more comfortable for the audience and everyone gets a seat. Um, and then it's the second year that I've done it. And I thought I would hate that room. I did it to shake myself up. I go, you're far too comfortable in stand one. You know, they've come in, it's a comedy club, it's too easy. Um, so I thought, do an uncomfortable room. <laughs> and now I really like that room, yeah. So would you have the same instinct again of like, well, you've got to be used to this nice room that you yes, like. Yes, maybe. Enough, well, or would you just go, no, uh, no, no, you clearly you, know, you like it. <laughs> I'll go, I'd allow myself another year. But I think because it's got a bigger stage, it makes you be more theatrical. Whereas the stand one, it's a small stage, so it is very just stand there with the mic. Um, but this, I thought, no, you're going to have to do more and move and things. Yeah. It took me a long time to move in stand-up physically move around yeah the so uncomfortable at moving and now you know i can't believe it but i remember it would be you know if i had to walk to a table to get something it was like i didn't know i, was, I didn't know how to walk it was like the it's so weird what's that about is that yeah. to do with the kind of the breaking the status is it something to do with you feeling less powerful if you move or more at, at risk i think it somehow? was the silence i think um now it seems crazy but I think it was the silence that it would take time for me to go there and something might happen in the silence. Yeah. So those, those hours, those 13 hours, if you, Joe, now could talk to Joe 13 years or 13 shows ago mm. and try to speed up the things that you have learned in writing those 13 shows, like mm. to pass on three of the biggest oh. lessons that you learned in your writing. I don't think you can. I, I know you can't. can't. I know you can't, but I'm, I'm interested in trying to identify some of the, some of the things you've learned through experience, through over such a, such a volume of writing. It's very, it's very difficult. Because I know, because I'd go, well, I would have done, I did the best that I was then. Um, and you, you get better at putting a show together. You get better at knowing the rhythm of a show, um, you know, what to have where. And it's, it's just very hard because all I would say to myself is, well, write better routines and be better. <laughs> you know, and, and that's a, such a weird thing of just learning more to be yourself, isn't it? The more you can find yourself and who that is up there without, because I don't think I ever looked. It was just when I, I suddenly realized, oh, I am. I think it's other people telling you, like you saying to me, you don't give a fuck. And someone else saying to me, oh, it's so clear who you are on stage. And I went, oh, that's good. Because I don't really know. I know now more from other people telling me. And I go, oh, so it is that. Yes. You know, that that's what they're seeing. And that's quite interesting because you should know what an audience is thinking about you. Because then you know what they'll take from you. 
yeah. uh, or what not to do because they'll go, well, that's not what we think you are, so we don't like that about you, you know, doing that. Uh, so it's quite, it is quite useful to know, yeah, to have somebody, other people describe you it, because it, it must be that. Yes, yes. And I think the difficulty in that, like at one end of the the spectrum of that self-discovery is when people come on and go, I know what you're thinking, visual joke about what I look like. Yeah. But actually what we're talking about, your whole person is so rich and so dense and layered that an audience might react like in the same way if we meet a person that we fancy or don't fancy or are scared of or aren't encouraged or empowered by. We don't necessarily know because it's so rich what is it because it isn't as simple as you yeah. don't give a fuck that's definitely part of it but yes. God, it's everything it's you know it's a whole person yes 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 so it is complicated isn't it so it's hard but so then it's what it is interesting when you know comments you like if they say a thing about oh but you're this and I, I go oh oh that's interesting so I'm that and then I'll think oh yeah 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 I'm that but in so almost in the same way that you could refer to the husband yeah would you ever have a similar Conversation, not necessarily that you've had this, but is, yeah. is it feasible that you'd go in inverted commas, Joe? Joe. Yeah. yeah, that way lies madness, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> but you sort of do if you're honest. You'd sort of do do that. Of kind of, um, yeah. I mean, it's more. It, it, uh, it's that's that's a bit chicken and egg, isn't it? Um, but it's more. I write things from uh, being annoyed, like writing stuff. Um, or stuff that happens. So I think, uh, like buying a bed in the mattress shop and the guy lying on the bed next to me, you're going, mm, just going, well, that's fucking weird. Who, you know? But am I overreacting? But he's, you know, pretending. You went, oh, your husband's not here. I could, you know, do it with you, sort of thing. So sometimes it's just actual, weird, real life, weird things. Um, yeah, I sp- uh, yeah, it's hard. It, it makes me sort of. Uh, loathe myself to kind of go would you go oh joe could do that um but uh i think no i think it's more that the thought comes from the feeling of i was really fucked off by this or it's so will people stop talking to me in the shops it's so annoying it must annoy other people oh it does then you say it on stage yes. and you go right there's something here everybody else is annoyed by this are, too are there conversely maybe things where you think not that joe not third person yeah. but you think i wouldn't say that or they won't take that from me or yeah. this will this is a genuine thing that I personally think off yeah. stage but it, they, it's not right coming out of my mouth yeah I think there's sometimes um, yeah that if I, uh, to be too to, well to be weak in a situation um, not self it can be self deprecating definitely I think the joke has to come back on you sometimes more from bolshiness of going I did this and then I looked a fucking idiot sort of thing but if I was to be needy in a disingenuous I want you to love me way the, I've got, the audience wouldn't like that they might like that in another performer but with me it's dishonest because it's like I'm deliberately saying to them oh you know being coy well, that sort of thing um, to try to get them on board with me makes me sick to think about it <laughs> and I know that they would kind of go oh why is she being like that she's not normally like that she just tells us stuff you know we don't have to wait just have to wait for our approval, you know. Finally, then, notwithstanding the horrible year that you've had, yes, are you happy? Yes, yes, yeah. I think people are happy, and yeah, I think it's I'm essentially a, a happy person. Um, I'm quite in. 
I think, I think the amount of time I've toured on my own, you've got to be quite a happy person because that way lies madness, you know, and, and seeking solace in terrible things. Um, but I think, oh, I'm... Potential autobiography title. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not for yeah. you, but for someone. Yeah, but I'll, but I'll be like, oh, but I'm very interested because, um, oh, there's an aqueduct at uh, Lancaster. I would like to go and see when that. When you mentioned yeah. learning facts about ghoul, yeah. I, was, yeah. I wasn't aware of that side of you, but okay, yeah. Yeah, I know, like a middle-aged man, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I think... I, and also, I think, I think life... Yeah, I would think, like, sometimes I'm, del- you know, sometimes you just go, oh, what a good day. I'm deliriously happy for no reason. You get to feel that, don't you? So then sometimes if you can be like, oh, just, you know, you're down for no reason as well. You go, well, that's, you know, that's part of life. Yeah. So I'm very, and I'm very happy that I found stand up. Very happy. Because I don't know what I would be. Really don't. I, you know, I was the oldest waitress in town. So, uh Yeah. Very, that's good. You're looking me right in the eye in a weird way. Like, I feel I've got to keep looking back at you in case I crack in some way. And then I go, but I'm not. (laughs) But I am, yes. And also, my sister, she was a writer and worked really hard. Like, she wrote all the time. And she was, like, 14. She was always writing. And So I think there's a part of me that is, like, that work ethic is in me, you know, that I I get a lot of pleasure out of, of, of working. And... Finally, finally, mm. what do you? What else do you want from stand-up that you don't have from your career? What What else is there for you to achieve? Um, I would like. It's difficult because I like control, so I think I need a little bit more telly every now and again, so that uh, to keep numbers up, and so that if when I tour, I might get more people. Um, but, I, or, uh, but it's that thing where you want to do things that you think are good or make you look good because I'm now, you know, I make a good living. I don't want to do, you know, sometimes television is like just bad and makes people do things they should, they're ashamed of, you know. So I would, I would like to do bits and bobs of telly, more like just can I go on, like when I did John Bishop's show and you just get to do stand up. And people go, oh, good, because you get to do what you do rather than going on a thing where you're going, like I had it the other morning on breakfast television. And you want to plug your Edinburgh show, so you go on. And it was me and Jeff Norcott. And both of us went, well, that's weird. Why is there two of us? There'll be no time to do anything. And talking to a man who has no sense of humor, one of those presenters where when you look at them, you go, oh, you're just a very vain man who's sitting there going, how do I look? Do I look okay? When they stop talking, I'll say something, but I'm just worried, do I look all right? And uh, so I, he sort of <laughs> did a weird thing where I didn't get to the punchline. So I just basically did a setup because he had no idea that as a comedian, I would be leading somewhere. So he, I say, I do the joke I do in the show. I, I say, I was a lot of it about my friends who are divorced and dating. And, um, and I said, you know, I can't do dating because my husband will be like, I don't think you should be dating. And he kind of looked at me like, well, that's weird. Why would you go dating? <laughs> and then I tried to do the other joke of going, um, well, then the joke being, uh, um, uh, oh, the divorce. Yeah, I, I'm also getting divorced, but I'm trying to keep it quiet for uh, what is to be a surprise for my husband's Christmas. But all I got to say was, I'm also getting divorced, but I'm trying to keep it quiet. 
And he cut me off. Oh, God. I had to phone my mum to go, oh, I'm not actually getting divorced. And my mum just went, well, your hair looked very nice. You know? um, but it was that where you go, I, I, felt, I felt a bit dirty because yeah. I thought, this, this it hasn't made you look good. It's just put your face on there. So, you know, so you want to do things. But, so, so a bit like that. Um, but also um, the writing, when I wrote those pieces about Annie, I, um, I, that released something in me where I thought, oh, this is a different creativity in me that wants to write um, and I'd written you know bits and bobs before uh, you know c- uh, kind of funny-ish articles and I thought oh no I do like that and it's a different it's a different creativity and I enjoy it so I would I'm going to do more of that uh, but otherwise it's just going on you know and hopefully you know thinking of other funny things and I would like to be in a th- you know something good like sort of acting wise if somebody said or got a thing but it would have to be something that really suited me otherwise there's no point because I don't like being taken away from stand-up because I've done that before where people waste your time like I had it the other night and it's a young woman producer and she goes oh Joe you're so good you should do more telly do you want to do more telly let's have some meetings come up with some formats and I went yeah 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 but in my head I went you fucking come up with a format I'm busy you know I'm doing what I do I don't want to waste my time with you people anymore having meetings and because at first meetings are exciting and then you go oh I've had it I've had it unless you're unless they're really interested in you and they're only interested if everybody's interested and then it becomes just a snowball and they don't even know who they're interested in they're just following everyone down the corridor going we want that person um then there's no point and you'll work on something for ages and then somebody will move and then you're dead in the water you know so i know that i don't want to do that anymore I think that's the noise of a lot of TV producers in the background trying to silence you by throwing cutlery around. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I've liked all the compliments as well. So that was Joe. Thank you so much to Joe for coming along to be on the show. I really, really enjoyed talking to you. And uh, I do would repeat my, my uh, imprecation. <laughs> wow, I don't think I've ever said that out loud. I think I'm using it correctly. Uh, my imprecation for you all to uh, go along to Joe Caulfield's website. Have a little Google of her. And... Um and to check out her things I've learnt as a comedian. It's really, really fascinating. So uh, do look at that. And uh, uh, I was trying to think of a similarly clever word. I, I was, God, not divest yourself, uh, uh, something yourself. Familiarise yourself with her tour dates or something along those lines. So, um, as you can hear, I'm completely falling apart. I'll tell you why in the postamble. Um, but uh, that is it for now. Thanks once again to the Place Hotel on York Place in Edinburgh. What a, a highfalutin but very warm and friendly welcome we get there. So that will do for now. Look forward to speaking to you next week. I will postamble at you in a second. But that, as ever, concludes the podcast. <laughs> so. I'm absolutely exhausted. Um, someone, a piece of uh, feedback on the ComCom Facebook group referring to someone else's podcast talked about that person wanging on about being a dad. Now, I'm very uh, uh, happy to hear the phrase wanging on. I haven't heard that before. I should try to incorporate that. Um, into my own daily life. But um, <clears throat> I certainly don't want to wang on about being a dad. Yeah, God, Monday, he had bronchiolitis. He screamed all night. Uh, I got about 90 minutes sleep. Uh, my wife got less than that. And then you have to go and 
deal with stuff the next day and this is a this is a <laughs> this is a week in which I and I'm in the middle of this week now I tell you this was I'm recording this on the Thursday Monday no sleep Tuesday changed all my complex travel plans in order to be able to get back on Tuesday night in case he was going to scream all night again I could at least split the split the coping with it with my wife and uh, uh, had to go and host enjoyed hosting the uh, the H Club 100 uh, awards which is sort of me a posh kind of media award ceremony clang that's me dropping the name of a of, me, of a corporate but um uh, lots of different uh, organizations were represented they're very exciting lots of different categories of culture and basically a lot of really exciting people there uh, most of whom i'd never heard of because i'm as as we discussed last week i don't really know much i don't really know much about anything but very exciting to see in the crowd mr richard gad who was nominated for an award um and also although i didn't see her, i don't think she was there in the end but alice lowe who's uh, an old friend of mine and the director of uh, Prevenge which I've yet to see but I can't wait she was fantastic in Sightseers and uh, you'll know her if you're a diehard comedy fan she was in um, Garth Marenghi one of the uh, one of the best things there's ever been I think Garth Marenghi was um, so uh, very exciting to be in this place having had 90 minutes sleep but a curious thing happened well two curious things happened uh, one is that I referred to the arts desk as the arse desk which I maintain. <laughs> to this day was a very slight slip of the tongue but it just it's, it would have gone unnoticed except one person in the audience went ha immediately and that meant everyone else went oh that did sound like us and then I was trying to claw my way back from I mean this is like two minutes into hosting an award ceremony so that was uh slightly fractious but the interesting thing about it was that because I was so exhausted I had a kind of uh What's what's the what's the knackered version of insouciance? I kind of had a, an attitude of like, oh god, let's just get through this, which worked really well. <laughs> I kind of stopped worrying about whether or not I was pleasing people because I just thought, look, there's, I've got bigger fish to fry than this fucking war ceremony. Um, largely in the sense of um, being desperate for sleep, but uh, as a result, I think I. I played an absolute blinder so maybe there's something to be learnt there maybe something you know not for you necessarily but maybe there's something I need to pay attention to there about um about how I approach things I definitely think I need to give less of a fuck do you know what I mean like I mean in a performative context obviously I care about my work I want to do well I want to get rebooked for those things that will rebook me but I think having the attitude on stage was like well there it is it actually better or worse no for better <laughs> that's the whole point for better it it made me better and it, it was really interesting to experience one of those things I don't know that it'll radically change my act but um what I'm saying is, if I come and do a corporate gig for you sometime and host your awards ceremony or after the speeches or whatever, uh, if I appear to be emphatically not giving a shit, then it's a creative decision on my part. That's what I mean. Um, so that's that. There is something quite sort of interesting coming up. Um, I'll tell you about it afterwards. So and and hey, listen, this is this is a thing I, about which I will be completely mysterious but I was going to release the audio of Everyone's a Comedian I'm now going to hang on to it for a little while sort of just in case of a thing I'm just going to leave that there and you can tell me if you think that's um, 
uh, uh, really boring. <laughs> you know, it's like the way people do what's it called? Vague booking, where people go, oh, big news, really excited, what a great day. And it's like, what, what? You know, what? What are you talking about? Um, I'm sorry if it's a little bit vague, but I think you can read between the lines. We did this crazy one off project at uh, Edinburgh, and it was really good fun. I've had a couple of meetings about it with a couple of folk, and I find myself getting excited about it and maybe making other people excited about it so let's leave that there and carefully back away from the potential ramifications of that how exciting now um anything else to tell you yes well i've explained why i'm exhausted so i'm in the middle of the thing now i was doing i did um i did this hospital awards thing and then i flew to belfast to thank you to jq uh, james quintin at the headquarters he's uh, the guy who if you email me if you're a comic and you go Stu, i'm going to get into podcasting i pass you on to jq because he knows a lot more about the ins and outs of it technically than i do and uh, jay was very kind to lend me a recording device with which to go to belfast because my travel plans lay in tatters because of my attempts to mould my travel around the screaming baby issue. Um, flew to Belfast, flew back this morning, about now to do a gig in London and then train home. And then the weekend I'm in Knaresborough, Middlesbrough, Saltburn and Durham. And then I'm going back home via Leamington Spa. And I'm absolutely exhausted. I think every time I've spoken... To, I know I'm exhausted, because every time someone's asked me how I am in the last two days, I've launched into... <laughs> I've accidentally launched into five minutes' worth about feeling old <laughs> and uh, and all of that kind of business. I'm not going to... I'm not going to wang on about it now. But there is... Uh, there's an extent to which my life is very adventurous that I really enjoy. And there's an ex- extent to which my life is very adventurous that um, I'd be very happy just to sort of sit on a chair for a bit instead. Mmm, chairs. Chairs for now. <laughs> I can't possibly, I can't possibly come out of this by saying chairs for now. I am the absolute worst. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.